Right now, we'll go ahead and turn our attention to our, our uh, chapter 23 of the book of Psalms today. So that's probably one that you've memorized all by heart and you know very, very well. You probably learned it whenever you were three years old. And it's probably the one that will be read at your uh, funeral or perhaps your deathbed, although we're not going to talk about that right now. Um, we're in a new conversation series. Uh, we were in about a six-week conversation series called Why We Sing. And if you were here and uh, enjoyed that conversation, or if you weren't, those uh, conversations are online on our website. You can get those there. But the one today is called, uh, starting a new one called The Emotionally Healthy Church. Okay, And we're, we're basically getting everything that I'm going to be saying and everything that I've been going through and reading this book uh, through an author, a pastor, a writer. Uh, his name's Pete, Scaz- Pete Scazzaro. His wife is a contributing author as well, Jerry Scazzaro. My wife, Caroline, and I had an opportunity to be at one of their uh, leadership and, I guess, slash marriage conferences. He is a pastor of a multi-ethnic church in Queens, New York. Um, Basically went through sort of a self-transformation going through this very premise. That our spirituality and the growth thereof has nothing to do with how uh, regular we come to church and how, you know, what church clothes we wear and how busy we are for God, hallelujah, praise God, but our growth and maturity in terms of our spirituality is directly linked to our emotional health. And uh, sad to say, so many of us are emotionally unstable, emotionally unhealthy, and uh, this book is an incredible journey for us that we're going to take as a, as a church, not only this summer, but it's a, it's a trajectory of our church that we want to be growing emotionally as well as spiritually. So, uh, everybody ready? Everybody ready? Uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, paying attention to God. Um, we're all distracted. Like, that's the key, one of the key things we're going to be mentioning in this little talk this morning is how distracted we are. Remember in 2013, this conductor of this train in Spain, I think there was like 70, uh, 79 people that died in this train wreck. Do you remember what the cause was of this? Well, the, uh, the, the speed limit uh, was 80 kilometers per hour. That was the zone that he was traveling through, and yet he was going 190 kilometers per hour through there. Wow. Um, And they were trying to get in touch with this conductor. And you know why they couldn't get in touch with this conductor through the little radio system? He was on his cell phone. He was on the cell phone. He ended up killing 79 people. He went to jail for it. Um, Studies are showing that the average worker in the United States spends 2.1 hours every day uh, on the job site, whatever job they're doing, being distracted, not actually doing the work that they were called to do, being paid to do. Um, an average person checks their phone 150 times per day. I know I'm in that statistic. We probably all are, right? That's every six seconds you're checking your phone. Is there something on Insta? Is there something on Facebook? Did some news just drop on NBC Bay Area? Like, like how are the Golden State Warriors doing? I mean, it's, it's all of it, right? Uh, every six seconds. So in light of that, I want you to pull out your phone. Sure. You're going to pull out your phone. We're not going to crush them. I'm not here to bash the phone. Phones are great. I love my phone. Uh, you're going to pull out your phone. And basically, you're going to be given an assignment today. And it has to do with your phone. Okay? I'll go ahead and give, list the assignment right now. 
And then I'm also going to give you the assignment. I'll sort of um, give you another summary of the assignment at, at the end of the sermon. Uh, the assignment that we're going to do is um, I want you to set an alarm. I want you to set an alarm both for the a.m. and the p.m. Okay? And what you're going to do with that, go ahead. You can just go ahead and set it right now. Play along with me. It's okay. Uh, you're going to set an alarm for the a.m. and for the p.m., so morning and evening. And when that alarm goes off, and this is for the next seven days, like this is an experiment. I'm inviting you to play along and do an experiment with me. For the next seven days, when that alarm goes off in the a.m. for you and in the p.m. for you, you're going to take five minutes. You're going to set a little timer. We all have a little timer on our phone. And you're going to set a timer for five minutes, and you're going to read... Psalm 23, which is printed right here, slowly. If you're like me, <laughs> you're kind of competitive, you're probably going to see how many times you can read it. That's not the point. That's not what we're trying to do here. Uh, the point is to read it slowly and, and to meditate um, on what you just read. And, and, and then your timer will go off five minutes. And, and keep in mind that somewhere in that assignment or that experiment, uh, there'll be 10,000 monkeys in your brain pulling you in, in all sorts of different directions. Okay, that's normal. Um, but the point is in that meditation, not only are you breathing and concentrating on your breathing, but you're reading this Psalm 23 real slowly and meditating on this, and, and your attention is going to be uh, drawn back to this great shepherd and this good shepherd. So that's, that's just an experiment. Okay, is everybody okay with that? Sound good? All right. Um, just a little bit, um, a, a couple of quotes. A quote here from uh, Simone Weil. This is a French philosopher, a Christian writer, writing, I think, in the 30s and 40s regarding distraction. Uh, she said, One of our major obstacles to the quality and quantity of our prayer is distraction. In addition to fostering prayer, the faculty of attention also facilitates experiencing the love of God. This is because attention prepares and opens the soul to the presence of God. Attention also cultivates the love of neighbor. Those who are unhappy have no need of anything in this world but people capable of giving them their attention. The capacity to give one's attention to a sufferer is a very rare and difficult thing. It is almost a miracle. Yes, it is a miracle. We're distracted. We are so distracted. We're distracted in prayer. We're distracted in relationships. We're distracted in our uh, relationship with each other, our relationship with God. And the whole point of this book and the whole trajectory towards spiritual maturation and maturity, which is a process, we all know that, is emotional health, and that is... Uh, a, a call towards us to slow down. Slow down. It's not about doing more. This is hard for me, by the way. I'm all about doing more. I want to I I know the to-do list. These messages over the next seven or eight weeks are, are going to be primarily about learning how to slow down and truly experience God that will uh, affect life change. Unspeakable. So everybody ready to jump into Psalm 23 together? I'll, I'll read it, and as I do... And as I talk about Psalm 23, uh, pull out your pen, pull out a marker, pull out your lipstick, for crying out loud, whatever, 
Uh, point being, I want you to engage with the passage that's here. This is not entertainment. This is devotional. This is a moment for me and for you to look at the scriptures and for the scriptures to, to come inside of you, to come to you and to live inside of you. So underline something, underscore, circle something, interact with the text. Um, do that with me as, as we go through this. I'll read Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He settles me down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, so a little bit about how God rewires your brain. This is not brainwashing. Uh, The scripture talks about meditation. The scripture talks about God's word. His very presence with you begins to transform your mind. Begins to transform your emotions. Uh, Lots of research right now by neuroscientists regarding how meditation changes our brain. Uh, the business group at Stanford, their, their, their business school, are using plenty of uh, secular books and language that talks about uh, getting more self-control, growing in self-awareness, becoming less stressed, less triggered by things that make us stress, better impulse control. Even gray matter in the prefrontal cortex gets bigger the more that we meditate, so that meditation itself even becomes easier for us and thereby that, uh, that space growing in our brain so that we can actually meditate and pay closer attention to not only things around us or the work that we're doing, but relationships and ultimately God. That's where all of this is going when we, when we talk about meditation. Uh, Psalm 23, th- this is a poem. Th- this, is, this is a poem, and the most important thing, if you hear nothing else that we're saying here uh, uh, this morning regarding Psalm 23... Uh, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. This is the most important part that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And what this means is that you have everything that you need right now. You lack nothing. And you say, uh, yeah, but I need that master's degree. I need a cuter boyfriend. I need a different spouse. I need more in my IRA account. I need more stability in my life. I need more, more, more. And you and I know that billions of dollars are being spent every day to convince us that we need more and more and more and more. Being in the Home Depot just a couple of weeks ago, if you know me that well, you know I'm never in Home Depot. I don't, I don't really own any tools. Um, we used to live in a high-rise here in the city. And um, within two minutes of being in Home Depot, I was being convinced by a little salesperson there uh, that I needed to be leaving there with all sorts of tools. And I even needed to leave there with like a concrete mixer. (laughs) What in the world am I even going to do with a concrete mixer? Um, So so looking at this verse one will change your life. 
I'm not exaggerating. I'm not a salesman. I'm telling you, verse 1 will change your life if you embrace it, if you rest in it, if you trust in what's being said here. Um, So basically, as we go through this, there are four movements that we want to be making this morning in looking at this Psalm 23. Four movements in paying attention to God. The first movement, uh, and the four movements are printed here. The first movement um, is so that you can hear God's voice. Like you want to pay attention to God so that you can hear God's voice. Yes, God speaks. You want to pay attention to God so that you can trust God in the darkness, not just when things are all going great in your life. And you want to pay attention to God so that you can receive God's love. And lastly, you want to pay attention to God so that you can see God's beauty. Okay, number one, so that you can hear God's voice. Countries, we know, have national symbols. Okay, for for Russia, it's the animal. or I'm sorry, it's the bear. Have you seen this before? They have this uh, vicious-looking bear as their country symbol. Maybe no surprise. Uh, For the USA, it's the, come on, bald eagle. Bald eagle. Okay, you're tracking with me. The the animal for Great Britain is is the lion. The animal for God's people is sheep. Oh, man. Like, I thought we were going to get something kind of, like, cool. Or, or what? we are sheep. Okay? Th- th- this is not necessarily a comp. You are loved, all of you, myself included. We are loved sheep. However, this is not a flattering comment. Okay? This is nothing flattering. Sheep are kind of weak. They're kind of dumb. They will literally walk themselves off of a cliff. Um, other research I did, you could do. Uh, they can't even find good pasture. You can't train a sheep. You can train a dog. You can train a horse. You can't train a sheep. It doesn't exist. Um, they're unable to take care of themselves. They go to polluted waters. They are defenseless against enemies. They don't have claws. They don't bite. Um, they're kind of helpless. They're frightened very easily. A, a dog can bark or something can happen near them, and, and they just, they're gone. They, they, they scatter. That's you. You and I are these sheep. I hate to tell you that. It's exactly who we are. Uh, Verse 2. Look look at this. Verse 2. It says, God settles me down. I don't know about you, but sort of growing up in church, it was the old King James Version that says, he makes me lie down. Almost as if he body slams me. Like, Like he makes me get the flu and I get sick and I'm like, he made me lay down. No, no, I like this translation a lot more where it says that God settles me down. It's not like he's causing something bad to happen to me. I'm not like looking out the window and saying, oh, I wish I were out there getting to play or getting to, getting to work or do these things. And if God would just let know, he's settling me down here. Sheep, when they're full, guess what sheep do when they're full? They lay down. You can't make a darn sheep lay down before that. You can do all you want to do to to try to get the sheep to lay down, and and they won't do it. But they will lay down when they're full. Sheep drink from still waters, not rapid waters. Notice the text here, as he's saying here. You make me, or you cause me, you settle me beside still waters. See, if you pay attention to God, if you pay attention to God as your shepherd, God is going to help you be still and be satisfied 
and be rested and be filled in him as your source so that he can satisfy you. Verse 2 and 3, look at this. God leads me to still waters and refreshes my soul. Once again, sheep, they go far off. They, they will back themselves into a corner, and I kid you not, you can watch videos of this on YouTube, they will back themselves into a corner and literally just butt their head up against that corner again and again and again and again. Repeat, repeat, repeat. We are sheep. We are sheep. We are just like that. They go off, they take themselves into a corner, and this verse 2 and 3 is powerful right now as we're talking about it because it's God who, as the shepherd, leads those sheep back. You as a sheep, you go astray. I go astray. Your temptations, your addictions, your things that lure you and me elsewhere. We tell ourselves, that will fill me. Those waters I will drink from. And God, instead of shaming us and being harsh with us, goes after us and brings us back. And I think as sheep we overestimate uh, really how much, how much control we have. I think as sheep we, we, we sort of rely on how smart we are how much we know, how much maybe money we have, or how much networking ability we have, or how good I am at decision-making. Sheep, we overestimate our control. People say, you know, um, I got it covered. I'm good. I'm all right. I got these big decisions coming up in my life, but you know what? I'm okay. I'm doing pretty good right now. I got this. I got it covered. Um... No, you're not. You're a sheep. You don't have this covered. You don't know your future. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know your own temptations well enough to know that five, ten minutes from now or five days from now, you're perhaps going to be lured and taken off somewhere else by your own desires. Yet it's God who's going to pull you back in. So living life without God, how else can we say it? It's dumb. It's even worse than being a sheep. It's a sheep thinking that they don't need God. That's the height of what we would say uh, not being smart. So these first two verses uh, let us know. Psalm 23, again, you'll read this when you're three years old, when you're 23 years old, and on your deathbed, someone will read this to you. You perhaps will be reading along with them, and you will agree that God is a good shepherd. You will agree that it was God who who brought you to those still waters. It was God who continued to go after you as a shepherd and continues to lead you. So again, that phone this week, when that alarm goes off in the morning, in the evening, set the timer for five minutes. Reread Psalm 23. Read it slowly. Meditate through it. Circle, underline, feel. And the old way of praying would be basically to, uh, to tell God what to do. It, it, right? You ever have, anybody have, no, don't raise your hand, but anybody, anybody have a prayer life like that? Basically, prayer means I just need to kind of like catch God up on what's really going on and kind of like get him moving to like do something for me. Um, that's all of us, basically. But this sort of new way is basically uh, saying... Um, God, where do you want me today? Where do you want to lead me today? You're the shepherd. I'm the sheep. I'm prone to sort of wander all over the place. Yet I'm checking in right now, morning, evening with you. You're you're the shepherd. You're the good shepherd. What do you want from me today? 
Lead me. Lead me. That's trust. That's belief. Uh, that, that's staying um, or giving our attention so, so that we can hear God's voice. Now, number two, so that we can trust God in darkness. Look at verse four. I mean, talk about in the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are, you are with me. I mean, that's what a valley is. It's a dark place. It's a moment of ambiguity in your story where you don't know what's going on. It, it, it's, it's where gnarly things live. It's like where snakes and lions and tigers and bears, like all of that, it's, it's there. Injustice also lives there. Hatred, racism, classism, it all lives there. That's where uh, all of that resides and, and multiplies itself right in the darkness of, of that valley. And many people that begin to follow Jesus then find themselves in a valley, and what do they end up saying? I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm done with this Jesus thing because you know what? I'm going through a valley right now. I'm having conversations with people just like this right now. And invite you to start listening to your own self and maybe some of your own friends that may be walking through some valleys right now. And one of the things we say when we're walking through some of those valleys is, I need something different than God. I need to be assured that there is someone who's going to lead me out of this. Um, the truth is the sheep need to go through the valley. They need to go through the valley to experience God. God is with me, he says right here in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I won't fear evil because you are with me. And some of us say, you know what? Yeah, but I can do a better, I can do a better job than God. <laughs> I, I, I can lead myself just fine. Oh, can you? Oh, can you? We're sheep. We are sheep that needs this leadership. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, this, is, this was a devout communist, a uh, great writer, and then became a Christian. 1945, he was thrown into a Soviet labor camp for eight years for making one, some of you are nodding your heads, you know the story, uh, for making one comment, uh, one negative comment about Stalin, the dictator of the Soviet Union, and later he went on to write a, a three-series um, of, of novels called The Gulag about his experience in this Soviet labor camp. And they say it's the greatest piece of, of nonfiction literature in the 20th century. Um, however, they say about uh, Solzhenitsyn that when he was, was young, he, he, he kind of went into this camp young, a little arrogant, judgmental, not forgiving, youthful successes had made him sort of numb to everyone else's problems. Uh, but then listen to this quote from him as he writes. I was rotting in prison straw, and then my heart was stirred and awakened. And by the way, he was led to Christ through uh, the witness of a Jewish believer who was later beaten to death in that same camp. He was led to Christ. And so this is what he said. I found grace, and that is why I turned to the years of my imprisonment and I say to the astonishment of those around me, bless you, prison. God nourished my soul there, and now I say without hesitation at all, bless you, prison, for having been in my life. God, you are with me. Even in what feels like hell. Those concentration camps, that's, that's hell on earth. The injustice that maybe you're going through. Racism or, 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 or any type of enemy that's coming around you. Uh, God is, is with you and with me in the middle of that. And that's the deepest security that you can, 
that you can want, not to get out of the valley, not to try to plan your life so that it's just as safe as possible and cush and nice as possible, but to know the God who goes through the darkest valley with you, who's there to protect you and lead you, not only through it, but also out of it. Verse 4 says, your rod, and and years ago I used to read this and go, man, is he going to hit me? Or like, what is this? I thought he was gentle. His rod as a shepherd is to beat the living you-know-what out of any other animal that's coming up behind the sheep. Any other thieves coming up against you that you and I are unaware of, that we're not even thinking of. That's what the shepherd does. He tenaciously protects and shields his sheep and will always do that and has always been doing that. Go read Psalm 139. Lord, you knew me even in my mother's womb. You've always, you've counted my days in front of me. You know everything there is to know about me. God is basically saying, I got your back. I got your back. Whatever you're going through, I got your back. Verse four, he says, your staff Yes, sheep will get stuck in the rocks. Sheep will go to places and twist their ankle and get twisted up and don't know how to get out of it. And it's that gentle staff that restores us and pulls us back in. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever felt very distant from God? Had you made choices to get distant from God, perhaps? Go there in your mind. Did you also feel God rescuing you? Did you also feel that gentle staff? We're not talking about religion right here. We're talking about a relationship with a Jesus who is shepherd and uses that staff not to hit you, not to give you more rules, to shame you, but to gently woo you back in into this deeper and deeper love relationship with him. Now, here in the psalm, he, um, he switches metaphors, and he's going to go to a banquet table. Uh, that's, that's all he's doing. He switches metaphors, and that leads us to number three, um, so that we can receive God's love. So we want to learn to pay attention to God so that we can receive his love. Verse 5, a banquet table. This is the Mideastern hospitality that is unlike any hospitality. And basically, they would give you three times the amount that you could even eat. Uh, Not because you needed it, but uh, you were their guest. And we're going to uh, endow you and lavish you with not only food, but you're going to feel like you're at a spa. There are going to be people coming around and refilling your glass and more food coming out, and maybe you get the the foot massage and and all of it. This is a banquet table. Uh, Jesus is saying basically to you, because we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, In the book of John, chapter 10 in the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of this Psalm 23, saying, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is essentially saying, "Um, I can fill you. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're looking, if you're searching, come to me. I can fill you with a banquet unspeakable. And um, some of people's opinions of you, he's talking about having enemies here. We have messages in our heads. We have Enemies at work, in our family, people out to get us. Uh, The system is out to get us. 
the injustice that resides there. But, but David, a writer in the Psalms, is able, is able to block all of that out and pay attention, pay attention to God, hear God's voice, and have his soul nourished by this God who knows him and who keeps rescuing him. And that's what grace does, doesn't it? Grace says to you, you matter. I know your story. You belong. That's what grace does to you. That's what Jesus, this good shepherd, is saying to you. You matter. I know everything that you're going through. I feel your pain. I know your story. Um, Verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. Again, special treatment by this host. Um, Point being, David is paying particular intimate attention to God's love. Not God's rules, but God's love. His love. God loves you. God loves you. You can't say that enough. You can't take a bath in that long enough. We end up forgetting it. We're those sheep that 10 minutes after this, we're going to be distracted and forget it all over again and need to hear it again. The fourth thing is so that you can see God's beauty. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And this Hebrew word here that we translated uh, as goodness into English essentially means beauty. Uh, it means beauty. And um, you, you know that paranoia that some of us have, though, of, man, if I don't do all the right things, that the other shoe is just going to drop? Anybody deal with that? Yes, we all do. Just that paranoia. Maybe we learned it from a family of origin that we came from. Maybe it's our own personality type. Maybe it's a neighborhood we live in right now. But there's this deep paranoia in some of us that say, um, don't enjoy God's goodness. We do. We tell ourselves that. Don't enjoy God's goodness because you really don't deserve it. Some of us live under that shadow. Some of us live hearing that voice. And that is not what... David is saying in the Psalms. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me and does surround me and will continue to be with me all the days of my life. Not when I'm just having a good day. Not when I'm just feeling like I'm surrounded by goodness and mercy. Another quote from Esther, her her nickname was Eddie... um, Hillisum. She's a Dutch Christian, died at 29 years old, uh, Auschwitz concentration camp, 1943. And, and again, once again, talk about a dark valley and hell on earth. Can, can, we, can we even relate? Um, her, her, diary, her diary was dis, uh, rediscovered. Some of you know about this story and shows how she was somehow, somehow able to see God's beauty and God's goodness, even though she was in one of these dark valleys. She, uh, she writes, Sometimes I stand at some corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth. So she's talking to God. She's praying. Raised towards your heaven, tears sometimes running down my face, tears of emotion, tears of gratitude. And I, I want to be right there in the thick of what people call horror and still be able to say life is beautiful. And now I lie here in a corner, dizzy and feverish and unable to do a thing. But I am also with jasmine that I see and that piece of sky beyond my window and all the life becomes one long stroll, such a marvelous field, 
she says. It's amazing. It's amazing. She saw God's beauty. She heard the invitation that life really is not only what you're going through, but it is also beyond this moment in time and what the good shepherd has in store for you and in plan for you. Uh, Beauty and the love of God is following you all the days of your life. Beauty is all around us in a sunset. It's in, it's in food. It's, it's in serving our neighbors at the Civic Center Hotel just across the street. That's where God's goodness is. That's where God's love and his pleasure is. Where we interact and we can learn and listen and be there. Learning to pay attention to uh, God is what we're up to. That's where we're headed over the next several weeks. And uh, in conclusion, let's... Uh, let's remind ourselves what we're going to be doing this week. Again, the assignment, you've all got it, we got it. Uh, We're going to set that alarm for two times a day. There's a morning alarm, an evening alarm. And by the way, this isn't a rule. This this is a suggested experiment. Go try it. I dare you. Do it. See what happens. And your alarm goes off and you set your timer for five minutes. And uh, and in that that five minutes, um, literally spend some time just breathing in deeply, breathe out, and then read this passage slowly and meditate on this passage and let God speak to you whatever God wants to say to you. Uh, Showing up to pray is the success. That's the success, just showing up, just carving out that time. Um, And that's because praying says, God, I need you. Not praying says, I'm good, I got this. I think I can handle this one. Oh, well, it might get real challenging, especially since you're a sheep and all. Oh, but I'm still good. Prayer is an invitation that says, I ain't got this. I need your, I need your leading and your help. So uh, let, let's take two minutes right now. We'll, we'll close this portion of our worship service by taking two minutes right now and just uh, take, take maybe the first 30 seconds and we're going to breathe in we're going to practice a little meditation right now. Just breathe in deeply. Breathe out. Breathe in again. Breathe out. One more time. Breathe in. Breathe out. And now for the next two minutes, on your own, just exercise that muscle of paying attention to God by meditating, by reading this passage that's that's listed right here. Take another minute, minute and a half, and just do that right now.